0: Welcome, everyone, to the best of Let's Go with Tom Brady and Jim Gray. First up, Snoop Dogg joined Tom and I back in October and spoke about Antonio Brown, the Snoop Youth Football League, and partying at the Super Bowl. Hey, we're talking about Antonio Brown. Snoop, I know you grew up with him. I did, too. So did Tom. I covered him. Is this guy Jerry Rice? I mean, this guy's unbelievable with his speed and the way he catches the ball. That's who, that's who he reminds
1: me of. Definitely. Definitely had some rice in him because rice was always silent, but deadly. He didn't say much. He just did a whole lot. And it's just the same kind of game with Antonio. You don't say a lot on the field. he just get it done.
2: He's like, a um, you know, it's amazing. He's like a, he's like a light socket of energy. You know, every time you see him catch a first down, he's got an energy about him that is, you know, really electric. He sees himself, you know, um, and we were talking about this the other day, you know, football show business, you know, it's not show, show, and it's not business, business. A.B. fully understands that there is a show aspect of football. And uh, I think he does a great job, man. He's just electric on and off the field. And, um, you know, again, just it's great to play with him. It's really fun to play with him.
0: Jim Gray, along with Tom Brady right here on Let's Go, we're joined by Snoop Dogg. Our program is brought to you by USAA Insurance. We're dedicated to helping the military community protect what they've worked hard for with insurance that meets their high standards. Get the coverage you deserve. USAA Insurance. USAA. Tommy, there was just the ultimate fight this weekend. Uh, I know it was late for you, but you've seen the highlights and, and read about it. Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder completed yeah. their trilogy. And this was an amazing bout because, to me, it showed so much about sports. From where Tyson Fury was to where he is to how he approaches this with tremendous skills Comes into the ring 277 pounds. And then Deontay Wilder, uh, who's got just a vicious right hand, a longtime champion, uh, goes out on his shield, uh, knocked down Fury twice in the fourth round after being knocked down in the third round. To me, it just encapsulated so much about sports. I'm wondering what your feeling was as a huge boxing fan.
2: You know, I love the sports, and especially the physical sports, because I think they bring in another aspect of discipline and toughness that um, some of the non physical sports don't have. you know, those two guys are, are gladiators, and they get in the ring in two totally different styles. Um, and at the end of the day, that's what sports are. Sports are all about styles and matchups, and there's a lot of different ways to win football games. There's a lot of different ways to win boxing matches. There's a lot of different ways to win, you know, baseball games. And I think what you you but you got to be
0: borderline out of your mind to be in that (laughs) ring, just like it's borderline out of your mind to be on that football field.
2: Yeah, I think we are borderline out of our mind. That's a great way to put it. I don't think anyone signs up for this and says, oh, man, this is totally normal. Let's do this for 22 years. Let me say that this is uh, you got to be somewhat. I don't know if the word's crazy, but not, you know, a compartmentalization between uh, part crazy. And I think maybe the love and the joy of it overtakes whatever the the uh, negative implications might be. You know, you're either living in life or you're dying. And I think we're all choosing to do what we love to do.
0: Snoop, love does strange things, doesn't it? Boy, it does it ever. <laughs> Look at Snoop's style, though.
2: And think about how on top of the game he's been for, you know, 25 plus years, you know, doing it better than anybody else. So not only doing great things in his career, but Look at the other aspects of his life that he's really um, inspired so many people. I know we he and I have talked about his youth football league and a lot of the other things that he's done in the community in Southern California. And he's been, you know, someone I've always looked up to. And we have, you know, a lot of mutual friends. You know, one of our best friends Snoop grew up with. Um, but I just love everything about him, everything that he stands for, his family, his kids. And, um, you know, just someone that I can't say
1: enough good things about. You know, the feeling is mutual, TB, so... It's a beautiful thing to be able to, to have the abilities to give back and to, and to go back to your community and to instill and empower. And I'm so blessed to be able to have kids that have made it to the NFL, that have actually played on the football field, you know what I'm saying, to the highest level. And that's, that's the joy that I get, that I can, you know, give that opportunity to a kid from the ghetto or from any community a chance to get somewhere and make it. And we're just going to continue to do what we do. This is all we know. As we continue with Tom Brady and Snoop Dogg, our program is brought
0: to you by United Wholesale Mortgage. And any athlete will tell you it helps to work with an expert. For buying or refinancing a home, your expert is an independent mortgage broker. Find one at findamortgagebroker.com. Powered by United Wholesale Mortgage, LLC, Equal Housing Lender, NMLS, number 3038, licensed in all 50 states, and the District of Columbia. That's United Wholesale Mortgage at findamortgagebroker.com. Dot com. As we continue with Snoop Dogg, our very special guest, and Tom Brady. Snoop, you established that league back in 2005, the uh, Snoop Youth Football League. Uh, what was your idea when you started it? And tell everybody what it's become now.
1: Well, when we started the league, it was more about student-athletes. We wanted to try to find a way to get the kids to get involved in school, but have an after-school program that was related to football. And We established the fact that you had to have a 2.5 GPA. And if a kid had two kids in one home, we made the prices very feasible for the single parents. It was $50 for the second kid. So a total of $150 for two kids to play. But we had the initiatives and the incentives to to create student-athletes. And what we did was we put a program together so strong that we brought our fathers, grandmothers, you know, athletes, alumni, and just different people to come back to the community to instill different, you know, direction in these kids. And we created so many professional people in life as far as like doctors, lawyers, police officers, not just football players. So I'm thankful for my league and I'm thankful for the people that was a part of it that helped me start it and continue to keep it going on.
0: You watch a lot of professional sports. We know you love the Lakers. You love the Steelers. Uh, You've become intertwined with uh, so many of the guys over the course of the years. um, And and you have a great knowledge of it. I mean, you're not just sitting back here firing. We did a boxing match together, uh, (laughs) the Mike Tyson exhibition (laughs) with Roy Jones Jr., And you you kind of set a new direction for uh, broadcasting as well because everybody got a big kick out of it. Uh, When you're watching a game and when you watch Brady play, are you analyzing it?
1: When I'm watching Tom play, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be Howard Cosell because I'm knowing that he's going to do something special. I like when he down, too. That's the part I like. I like when he down and you, you think he can't get it done, and it's like the last two minutes of the game, and he's going to milk the clock and put his team in position to get that touchdown, and then he's going to do his thing, and it's going to be a beautiful ending. That's that's the part I like. I always love the way Howard Cosell called games and made it exciting for you to, to watch it over and over again just hearing his voice. Let's, let's hear your impression. Look at the angular young man go from Northern
0: California. <laughs> this <laughs> Thomas <laughs> Edward <laughs> Brazy. No, 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 no. Never count him out. Look at this young man, a fine young man. I've spent numerous hours with him. Children playing at television. Let me tell you, he's an adult in the room. Go ahead, Snoop.
1: Get it, man. Go ahead, I can't Snoop, top, give man. us your Howard. I can't top that. Come on, Jim, I didn't know you had all that in you, man. You went Co Cosell, Cosell.
0: The best Howard Cosell ever was when he did that Randall Tex Cobb fight with Larry Holmes. And it was just awful. And by about the eighth round, he finally said, Does this referee recognize he's an advertisement for the abolition of the very sport in which he governs this evening? There'll be no interview, not by this reporter. Rune, this has been beneath you to put this on the American Broadcasting Corporation. We'll be back after this, unfortunately.
3: He
1: must be one of your favorite, Jim, because you know that line for
0: line. That's a line for sure. I got all of them, I got all of them. Tommy, did you meet Howard? Did you know Howard? I never met him. No, I did they, they get a chance to. When you look yeah. back at those old films, what do you think how he called a game?
2: I mean, he was amazing. I think he called it like he saw it. it was no, uh, there was no – he didn't let anyone off the hook, kind of like someone else I know. Someone else likes to scratch a little bit. I think <laughs> Howard did the same. So he called it like he saw it. That's just the way it was. He wasn't trying to, uh, you know, always say the, the, the right thing. He said the thing that was the truth in his mind.
0: Telling it like it is. I never played the game. <laughs> snoop you tell it like it is you get in trouble sometimes talk about telling the truth and and, and the trouble that it gets you into for expressing your free feelings and, and being honest
1: well you know that's the the beauty of america that you have the right to the freedom of speech so i, I manage to exercise it in different ways but it's just the point of sometimes I, I find myself being the voice of the people and i like to speak for the voiceless for those who don't have a voice so it can't get you in trouble when you speak enough for those who don't have a voice but sometimes it's worth it
0: and when it comes cascading down on you uh, in Twitterville, uh, in social media, or in mainstream media, how do you deal with it? How do you handle it?
1: Hey man, look here, Jim. I take it day by day. This is what I was born to do, man. I'm in it to win it. That don't bother me. I mean, if you're not being hated on, you're not doing your job. If you're not being speculated, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. So, I feel like all of that just, you know, fuels my fire to do more because I know that they hating on me, or they they got some sort of, you know, motive out to get me. So it makes me want to stay on top. And folks, let me remind you this week's episode of Let's Go with Tom Brady and Snoop Dogg
0: is available wherever you stream your podcasts. Subscribe today to get the newest episodes immediately downloaded to your phone. Also, don't forget to leave us a five-star rating and leave us a review with your feedback on the show. You can also interact with the show by emailing us your questions to Go at SiriusXM.com. Tommy, how do you handle the haters? We heard what you said years ago at the Super Bowl I put my arm around him. I love him, but you know, things have changed quite a bit. You've moved teams. You keep winning, champ- you keep winning championships and um, seven championships brings about 30 other cities, uh, a lot of jealousy and a lot of anger.
2: Yeah. Someone said there was a great line. Someone said they don't boo the good ones. They boo the great ones. So exactly. um, I think at the end of the day, you just gotta be com- You just gotta be comfortable and confident with what you're doing in life. And again, we're not here to live for other people um you know we're here to the people that we care about that you know when they tell you something you take it to heart you know when someone else says it that may or may not have any feelings toward you you know I've learned a long time none of that really matters so it's a little different in a team sport because a lot of times you have to take on the mo of the team as opposed to you know necessarily an individual sport where you know you can kind of take some things on yourself but you know there's as you guys have seen the last couple of years, I think I've uh, relaxed a little bit on some of the tight lip I've been for quite a while. I've having a little more of my voice heard over the years.
0: Would you like to take them on Tom, or does it not matter to you?
2: I think um, my wife's a lot like Snoop, you know, like he said, she has a voice for people that, uh, you know, defending people that can't defend themselves. And um, I really appreciate that about her. And I think that's, you know, she's taken on a lot of issues, certainly with the environment, you know, and I think, you look at her home country of Brazil, like she takes a lot of really tough stands and it does come back on her. She's, you're very sensitive toward that as, you know, certainly being a woman, you know, I think women are very much protectors. So it could, it could take a little more out of her, you know, for me, I feel like, you know, I'm a little different than that. And that I probably don't say as much as I'd want to say, just because sometimes I think I get a little sensitive too. And I don't want to feel like I have to fight back all the time. So I probably say less and Maybe that'll change over time. Like even yesterday, even after the game, I said, look, I'm doing some things different now than I probably would have used to have done. But that happens when you get older too, and you get, you know, to the point where you realize that no matter what you say, you know, as long as you feel like it's right for you, then that's what you should do. If it feels good to you, it must be good to you.
0: Absolutely. And you know what else feels good? That special next occasion at Mastro's, an unmatched dining experience known for its world-class service and exquisite cuisine. Mastro's offers the finest prime steaks and the freshest seafood, all in a lively atmosphere. Visit Mastro's.com for locations and reservations. I see Snoop down at that Mastro's all the time
1: on the beach right down here in Malibu. Snoop yeah, you go get Mastros. that hook up. Hey, Jim, I need that hookup. I will get you the hook up. Get us that hookup. Knock, knock a few dollars off my bill when I go <laughs> up in
0: there. <laughs> you got it. We got it taken care of. Tillman Fertitta, our great sponsor, Tommy. We're taking Snoop to dinner and whoever he wants to bring with him. Yeah, as much as he wants. Absolutely. Yeah,
1: please, there you go. Me. Hey, Tom, I, I got a wish in mind. I got one wish. What's that? And it ain't no time soon. It's when you finish. When you finish yeah. playing, I say no time soon. Listen to me. Tell me. No time <laughs> soon, Tom. I want to catch a touchdown pass. I'm on Deion Sanders to be sticking me and on the 15-yard line going in. This is one play to win the game. Ooh. Me and prime time, one-on-one. I'm
2: in on that. Are you kidding me? That, that that'd be a quarterback's dream right there. Lining up against one of the all-time greats with you, throwing a touchdown pass to you. Come on now.
1: I'm gonna There's, beat him too with a double move.
2: <laughs> let's go. I'll let you call the play. I'll just try to make a good throw. I'm gonna beat him. Trust me. I see the
0: athleticism. Hey, Snoop, want to be the first person to have Parker. him smoke a blunt? What?
1: <laughs> That's after after Hall of Fame. I gotta let him get in the Hall of Fame first. After that, that, the Hall of Fame, soon as you walk off that stage, you hug you hug your wife and your kids. Come see me. And now you really Hall of Fame. Come see
2: Uncle Snoop in the studio. I'm in for exactly,
1: that. Exactly. I exactly. can't pass
2: up that. That'd be like, you know, catching a touchdown pass on Tom Brady, you know, hanging out with Snoop in the studio, you know. Come on, or, Tom. Or on the tour bus. That might be something to do. Come
1: I'm on, TB. They, they don't know that every Super Bowl that you was a part of in New England, I was at the party. I partied mm-hmm. with you, everyone. Despite being a stiller fan, I showed up for my Patriots. I showed up with TB and Mr. Kraft and them, and I was performing. I was hanging out. I was doing everything needed to be a part of the Patriot family and I appreciate y'all for welcoming me that was love
2: always you know when Snoop was there it was a good it, it was the best time so there was always requests request for who Mr. Kraft would always ask the guys who do you guys want Snoop was always the first one out of our mouth so you know he's a part of some of the best moments in my life and I actually have a funny story so after the game that we won in Atlanta against the Rams Snoop was there and um, I brought my so my son was 11 at the time to the after party and the game ended pretty late so it was midnight it was in our hotel, so we had this little special special spot on the stage. Well, Snoop had a pole up, and there were some girls. They were clothed, but at the same time, there was a pole, and my son, had, he had his eyes open, and he was listening to music, and I said, Jack, cover your eyes. And he goes, Dad, I'm good, I'm good. So it's 2 <laughs> in the morning, and I mean, we are having the time of our life. And I'm like, holy cow, if he tells his mother, I, am, I ain't going to see this kid for a long time. But Jack, Jack my nephew Jack I and know. the Beanstalk. I'm telling you, we it was one of the best moments of my life. We still talk about it, too. I said, Jack, and he goes, Dad, I'm good, all right? I'm good.
1: Yeah. So, Keep that under your head, Jack. That's
2: right. He's growing up quick, that boy.
1: That's what I'm talking about. That's the beauty about being a father, man. You get those precious moments that those are going to remain forever. Yeah. Trust me, Tom. Those are going to yeah. remain forever, brother. For sure. Jim Gray and Tom Brady with special guest Snoop Dogg
0: right here on Let's Go. We're brought to you by Ring. With Ring, you're always home. Protect your whole home with a video doorbell, security cameras, and an award winning alarm you can install yourself. Go to ring.com forward slash let's go for a special offer on a Ring alarm home security kit today. That's ring.com slash let's go. And we're continuing to go with Tom Brady and Snoop Dogg right here on Sirius XM.
2: So, Snoop, I got a question for you. I've been drug tested all the time in the NFL for my job. When was the last time you were drug tested for your job? That's what I want to know.
1: Who? <laughs> Let's try 1991. Oh, That's what the last lead. time I got you. <laughs> you don't need Did you to, pass though. it? No, I didn't, Jim. What did I look like passing a drug test? <laughs> That's one pass I could never complete. <laughs> But I bet y'all didn't know this. Hey, Tom. What's up? I've thrown more passes to our favorite receiver than you have. Is that right? Yes. See that jersey right there? Oh, I love that. I love that. Where'd you get that from? That's from Jules eighty Jules Edelman. That's my guy. That's my favorite receiver. I like to pass to him after the season's over. Oh,
2: I bet. I bet he's <laughs> out there in LA a lot too, so he can find himself to to your place. I'm sure. Come Listen, on
1: man, that's, that's California. Hey, it's California Kid, man. I'm yeah, with you and you, You know what it is? Right here. Business is booming. <laughs> hey B, what up boy? What's up, man?
2: I see you love one. See, we got it all working here. We're trying to get ready for a game. We're doing our business. is what we do.
1: Hey, that's the only reason why we stay on top. Tommy, you see what, well, man? I'm in the studio right now. I ain't even been to bed yet. This is what we do. We wake up and we we shake up and wake up. That's what we do. Get it done. That's
2: what we do. No excuses. Hey Snoop,
1: I had a thought for you. Do you think the dogs name their owners? Damn, that would be crazy. <laughs> that would be crazy if my dog named me, right? Snoop, Jim does Jim been hanging with you on the tour bus? He he sounds like it, don't he? It does, doesn't he? <laughs> I like this. Jim, you quite I've been out on before. tour
0: with Snoop. I knew Snoop before he was Snoop, correct? (laughs)
1: exactly talk that
0: talk jim in november jim harbaugh joined the show and spoke about the wolverine season and the pride that tom has in his alma mater the wolverines are back and uh i said earlier it was one of the great
2: days in college football i can ever remember just watching you know it was a perfect ann arbor day the snow was falling down that field was Big Johnny, our old equipment coach, you say rain, blood, shit, or mud boys. We're getting out there and we're playing Michigan football. (laughs) And that was a good old Michigan ass kicking. So it was so fun (laughs) for us to be watching and so happy for the seniors. So happy for coach Harbaugh, what he's done to the program. So it gave us all a lot of joy on the weekend. So
4: thanks a lot, coach. Well, thanks Tom. Congratulations on, uh, on your big win over the weekend too. It was, uh, it was a glorious weekend. Oh, Schembechler, uh, my coach uh, used to say it's it's everybody's duty for everybody in the state of Michigan to beat Ohio State and uh, to have, to have accomplished that. Uh, our, our players, uh, you know, they were cha- they were channeling own number 10, Tom Brady. No question about it. And uh, it's a it's a it's something that I know I'm going to remember until they throw dirt over over top of me
2: it was such a throwback win because it was the physical team was winning and it was such a big 10 style of football. And I think what I loved about it too, which was so great, like the rivalries, when the teams are good, there's nothing like those college football rivalries. And I just was watching that screen going, you know, 112,000 people in the stands. And, you know, even in pro football, you don't get that same type of rivalry, you know? And I think there's you know what i saw after the game in the tunnel is you know kind of fun and it's the rivalry but that's really how you feel you know it's amazing to be a part of those games and you just have this intense it's not a hatred of the people it's just the colors and the mascot and you know the people are the people but it's just we stand for one thing they stand for another and it's yeah. man it's 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 as good as it gets so it's amazing uh just a great thing to watch
4: well no question i mean we all we talk about it a lot around here um, You you talk about 365 days in a year, and every day matters, but they only count 13 or 14 or 15 of them. 12 regular season ones that count, and as you know, in the rivalry, one counts. The Ohio State-Michigan game, you know, that day counts as as much as the other 11 games, and even a little bit more. So, uh, uh, really proud of our guys for. For making that one count, yeah, Coach. When you
0: see the joy that Tommy has, and you get to experience the joy of what happened on the field, uh, uh, and everybody, uh, Jawan Howard hugging you, yeah. the students, the alumni, your own players in the locker room, can you can you kind of explain what that's like to to have that experience now for the first time?
4: Uh, and I would even say, I mean, yeah, it's it's. Uh, it's that, I mean, to get a text from Tom Brady, you know, after, after the game, uh, John Madden, I got a text from John Madden, you know, talking about how much he loves the offensive line. Uh, he thought our (laughs) offensive line played as, as well as, as any offensive line. And then also Jim, uh, you know, in the mail now I'm I'm getting hundreds of letters and there's some are emails, some are texts, but I mean, physically going through hundreds of letters and there's, uh, the guys that played back in the sixties um, comparing that game in 2021 to the 1969 game. And for any of us kids that, that grew up in the, in the seventies or, you know, played in the eighties, even the nineties in the two thousands, uh, around here, you know, the 69 game uh, is referred to as, 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 as a seminal win, you know, where the Titanic plates, you uh, you know, shifted and, uh, you know, to have, have them compare the 2021 game to that 1969, uh, it leaves me without words.
2: I think about that game too, coach. And I was, you know, fortunate to be a part of that rivalry, you know, in five games I played against them and we won the first three, which were all really great wins. And then I lost one the first year I started, we were at the horseshoe We got beat by a really good team that day in Ohio State. And I won my fifth year as a senior at home in the big house. And it was like, I feel so great for those seniors because you go out with that victory, you know? And I think when you have, you put so much into it. I think all of us athletes, and I was thinking about this the other day, you know, when you lose a game, whether you're a high school football coach, you're a college football coach, you're a pro football coach, you're the wife of a college football coach, you're the mom of a high school, you know, player, everybody feels the same. It sucks. It just <laughs> sucks losing. And to see yeah. the joy from winning that game for the seniors, who will never get a chance to beat that team again. Yeah. You know, it'd be hard for me to imagine going that long you know and not having that chance and I think those guys what I saw I think with the joy in that stadium and the crowd rushed the field and I got a, I had a little future Wolverine my son Jack sitting on the uh, bed with me as I was jumping around and we were wrestling on the bed and I said yeah. that's where you're going to be you're going to be in the big house someday you're going to be the starting quarterback <laughs> for Michigan and my wife was like just let him be what he wants to be for God's sakes
4: <laughs> you know so it's just was- uh, it
2: was a great day for our family
4: there was, and I and I appreciate you, Tom. I mean, I uh, uh, appreciate you you getting back to me earlier in the week. You know, as I as I texted you, I just I just noticed about our team that um, you know they they play their best when they play loose, and they play with joy, and they play with gusto, and um, and, and who better to to text and ask, you know, how, how do you best do that? And you gave me you gave me tremendous advice, and uh, and then to see our our players go out there and, and play with that kind of joy and that kind of gusto from, from the first snap uh, to the end of the game uh, was a tremendous feeling. And as you said, I mean, there's there's so many people on a team. I mean, there's the new, there's the new players, the JJ McCarthys and Donovan Edwards and Junior Coulson's, uh, Rod, Rod Moore that come into your team and they give you a great lift of, of energy and perspective, new staff members that came onto our, uh, our staff this year and contributed mightily. And um, and then there's I call them the foundation. They're all the guys that were here last year, or here in 2020, 21, or uh, 19 and 18, and some all the way to 2015. Cade McNamara, uh, Dax Hill, guys like that who really who really stayed, stuck it out, didn't just quit or flinch or fold at the at the first whiff of adverse circumstances, and produced. Uh, and then as you guys as you say, the seniors, that committed group, that group that's been through the most, been through the most work, been through been through some injury, been through uh, some disappointment, uh, had somebody uh, maybe start over them or eh, I, all the things, but to come back and 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 produce and do it when there's the most on the line, you know for the team, I mean uh, that group and then the last group, I call them the ones. They're the ones that, without them, none of this is possible. And uh, Aiden Hutchinson, Hassan Haskins, Andrew Vistardis, Brad Hawkins, Josh Ross, uh, Jake Moody, our kicker, uh, You know that group, Andrew Stuber, Ryan Hayes, Brad Robbins. Without them, we're not where we are. I mean, guys that literally uh, were willing and did take the team, put them on their backs, like taking a locomotive that's going in one direction, lift it onto their backs, physically turn it in the opposite direction and start pushing. And then the rest of us jump on and start pushing as well. I mean, uh, yeah. something, something you know as the greatest player of all time, and it's not even close. You've completely lapped the field. Uh, you've always been willing to do and know how to do, uh, but to see, you know, young guys that are, uh, 21, 22 years old, be able to do that. It's, uh, it was, it was tremendous to be a part of. Yeah. So much resolve, you know, like you said, and
2: I think it's, uh, you know, you're a college football player and, you know, you to make it five years at a program like Michigan or four years, you know, shows tremendous competition. I chose Michigan because I felt it was a long way from home, you know, and I needed to grow up and I needed to leave kind of the comfy confines yeah. of my California roots and the the comfortability of, you know, having my parents close. And then I, I went to a school that challenged me in every way. And it was the biggest stage. And I went to the big house on my visit and I saw my name up there on the screen when I walked in there for the first time. And I knew where I wanted to go to school because I wanted to grow up and be a man. And The saying was, as it still is today, those who stay will be champions. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And I became a champion at Michigan. I learned how to be a champion at Michigan. I learned how to win and compete on state street before I ever stepped into the big house. And if I was going to be the best, I wanted to beat the best. And I competed against some of the best quarterbacks at that school. Brian Greasy would led our team to the national championship. I learned how to compete by competing against him and There was a lot of great players that I played with and, um, you know, I have so many great memories that taught me so much. And I think when I looked at that team on, on Saturday, I thought that's what, that's what this program's all about. You know, it's, you know, it's getting great players who are committed to the team and then playing your best in the biggest moments. And I, I really am excited about your game this weekend. The format's changed a little bit. You know, it used to be when you beat Ohio state, man, the you were yeah. going to your bowl game and now you got all this other championship stuff for all the money and the whatever it is, you know, to satisfy all the sponsors and so forth. Um, <laughs> but beating Ohio state was pretty good for, for, for me. So what an incredible season for you and one loss to Michigan state, which was a hell of a hard fought game there. Um, but you know, if the best is ahead for this team. They just got to do it again. So that's what it's all about. Keep going. That's,
4: that's what it's about. And it, you know, just as you said that, I mean, I went to high school in California too. And, uh, and then went back to Michigan, and I remember t- people talking about, well, it's a really hard school, you know. It, it's really cold, you know. You're gonna have to, you're gonna throw balls. Uh, there'll be icicles hanging off of them, and all that. And uh, you know, when you just when you were saying that, I mean, this, the 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 picture that comes into my head is is, uh, and you know this. I mean, you're the the ultimate man in the arena. Uh, but John F. Kennedy, you know, on, on the steps. Of Rice University in August of 1962, you know, saying we're going to put a man on the moon in this decade, and we do it uh, not because it's easy, but because it is hard, and uh, you know that's 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 what I think of um, uh, whenever I watch you play. Whenever I watch you play, uh, and I saw that in in our team uh, um, last Saturday. Hi, everybody. Christopher Mad Dog Russo here. Familiar? You should be. Well, now you can catch Mad
1: Dog's Daily Bite each day as a podcast, where you'll hear my thoughts and opinions on the biggest topics around the world of sports. NFL, baseball, golf, NBA, even the hockey. That you know you can count on. That's Mad Dog's Daily Bite. Drops daily anywhere you get your podcasts. And you can also hear me weekdays 3 to 6 Eastern on Mad Dog Unleashed, Sirius XM Channel 82, or anytime on the SXM app.
0: Welcome back to the best of Let's Go. Last December, Larry Fitzgerald and I were joined by Hall of Famer, the great Charles Barkley.
5: When you guys are discussing, you know, your agendas, you know, on Tuesdays, uh, how, how do you, like, gauge what is is worthy of getting on and being discussed? You know, what, what is the threshold of the, of the magnitude of an event?
3: Well, that's a great question also. It has to be a big deal because, Larry, you could actually nitpick and talk about something all the time. But like I say, people don't turn on sports to get beat over the head with social justice and social initiatives. Mm-hmm. So we try to make sure it's like a nationwide thing or a really big deal. Because the last thing you wanna do, like I say, if you wanted to, you could pick up something every single week and talk about it. But people don't turn on sports for that that situation. Mm-hmm. But we are, we are very selective. And you know, the last couple of years have been interesting with guys standing and sitting and kneeling doing the national anthem, there is some into NBA teams, boycotting games and things like that. So that that when that stuff happens, we have no choice. But we we prefer to stay out of most stuff because, like I say, it's something that happens in this country every week, every day that people could talk about. But the main thing is, man, people are turning us on to laugh and joke and watch a bunch of guys dribble a stupid basketball, which I love basketball. Basketball has given me every single thing in my life. I mean, you know, Larry, I'm 58 years old. I've never had a real job. I've been blessed to play in the NBA for 16 years. I've been on TV for 21 years now. So I love basketball and I want the fans to enjoy the game. But we have to be very careful to make sure the game is the most important thing. I'm Jim Gray, along with Larry
0: Fitzgerald. He's Charles Barkley. Let's Go is brought to you by USAA Insurance. We're dedicated to helping the military community protect what they've worked hard for with insurance that meets their high standards. Get the coverage you deserve. USAA Insurance. USAA! So how have you managed that that tightrope, which you've done so well of being able to be entertaining, deal with all of these issues, yet you're one of the few guys who will step out and criticize your friends, people who you genuinely care about, genuinely in some instances love, and you'll say, hey, you're not getting it done either on the court or on the golf course or in management. And you've been willing to risk friendships over that because you've owed it to your job, as you've said. How did... How did you come to that conclusion and have the wherewithal to want
3: to do that? Well, Jim, obviously, I've had some friends I've lost because things I said about them on television. But you know what? I have to do my job. One of the reasons I don't like some reporters, you can tell when they don't like certain guys. They go overboard to criticize them. And you can tell when they like certain guys. And they won't criticize them. And they give them, like, If I believe if two guys do the exact same thing, whether guy's a friend or not, I have to criticize them. If, how can I give my friends a hall pass? That's not fair. And that's not right. So, for me, I don't ever want to criticize a friend. I mean, I'm not an animal. I mean, I don't get on TV and says, let me pick out one of my friends or somebody I like. But. Those people at home, they're a lot smarter than we give them credit for. And they know when you're lying. And the one thing I don't want to do, I never want to put myself in a situation that you see all the time. Some reporters, you are like, they say stuff just to get clickbait. You know, Larry and Jim, we, and Jim, you've been in this, seen it better than anybody. Television is probably, and radio and whatever you want to talk about, it's probably changed 100 degrees for you. In my little short time, between the internet, social media, and things like that, it's changed. But probably from when you started, Jim, it's probably, you talk about 360, it's probably like five, 700 to you. But I've noticed in my little short time, we went from guys talking to the press, being friendly with guys till, no, we don't talk to guys. I got something to say. I'm going to say it on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook or something like that. But I always tell people I'm talking to the fans. I'm not talking to my friends. I'm not trying to be friends with the NBA. I really want to do my job well. And what what, what makes me feel good about my job when people walk up to me and say, hey, I might not agree with you, but I don't think you're out trying to get clickbait. I think you're giving an honest, fair opinion. And that means the most to me, to be honest with you, Jim, when people say, when I love when people say, hey, I might not agree with you, but I don't think you said this or this so people will click on to your story. And I would never do that because unfortunately in our country, People believe if they see something on television, it's true. And, Jim, me and you have been around long enough to know most of the guys we know on television are full of shit. <laughs> hey, I, I and listen, I learned this when I was in Philadelphia. Some of the biggest media people in the country were friends of mine, and we played golf. And they would say to me, I said, what you going to talk about today? He's going to say, well, I'm going to say this. I said, you don't believe that. He says, no. He said, Charles, you don't understand. My job, I got to be on the radio for four hours. My job is to get these people to call in and argue with me for four hours. And I was like, what? He said, Charles, sports talk is a business. And, and, I was, and this is going back to the late 80s, early 90s, when I was really in Philly and friends with the guys, or I'd go there and play. Because and I, I always live in Philly during the summer because it's too hot to be in Arizona. But some of my best friends, some of the biggest media personalities in Philadelphia say, yeah, I'm going to talk about this today. And I was like, for real? He's like, Charles, I really don't think most people don't understand. My job is to get people to call in for four hours a day and argue with me, pro and con. And I was like, wow. So that's how this thing work. But I think television is such a visual medium. When people see your face, and when I say something about this guy, this guy, they're going to believe it. So I try to make sure that I never lie on television. It
0: is a totally different planet from when we first were doing this, you and I together back in the <laughs> early 80s, and for me all the way back to the 70s. There was a, just a different rapport and, and a way of going about things and obviously the internet and social media has changed all of that wondering when you have to suffer the consequences of losing those friends and and it's well publicized what's happened with you and michael jordan and and tiger woods
3: how much does that hurt you internally well let me just say this the thing with michael hurt me a lot because michael was like a brother to me um uh he was like a brother to me and but you know what I said was I, I'm not sure Michael's ever gonna be successful because he only hires his friends around him. And John uh Jim and Larry knows this, y'all both know it. The toughest thing and the hardest thing when you become famous is making sure you surround yourself with people who gonna tell you no. Because you're gonna they're gonna be on your private jet. You're buying all the drinks, you're buying all the meals. So most of the people around you They're just going to kiss your ass and tell you what you want to hear. And that is very dangerous when you're a celebrity, especially now with the money is going through the roof and bless these young guys, make as much as they can. But if you don't surround yourself with people who will tell you, no, you're going to fail at this miserably because you need that. So it's been very painful Losing Michael as a friend. The thing with Tiger, I have zero idea what happened with Tiger. I wish him the best. He's the greatest golfer ever lived. Uh, Me and most of our friends who were good friends, and we haven't talked to him since the night of the accident. I mean, he kind of, I'm not sure. We actually, to this day, are not sure what happened. I've never had a crossword with Tiger. Every time I talk, I say, hey, this guy's the greatest golfer I, I ever. And I want him to win. I hope he comes back for his injury. I'm excited to watch him next week with his son. But me and Tiger, I never had a crossword, and I am not sure what happened. But like I say, me and most of the friends we had with him, we have not talked to him since the night of the accident. So I really don't know anything what happened there. Now, like I say, the, you're the talking Michael about thing, his accident
0: with the fire hydrant, not the latest accident about eight or nine yes, months
3: ago. Yes, the fire hydrant, yes. Uh, good call there, Jim. But, you know, the thing with Michael has been painful. But you know what? I have no regrets about doing my job, Jim. As we continue here on SiriusXM, I'm Jim Gray, along with Charles
0: Barkley and Larry Fitzgerald. Let's Go is brought to you by Ring Alarm. It's true. Ring has an award-winning alarm with professional monitoring that you can install yourself in minutes. Go to ring.com forward slash. Let's go for a special offer on ring alarm today. That's ring.com forward slash. Let's go. Charles,
5: I was going to ask you since we're on this topic, you know, I, you know, it's been well publicized with Scotty Pippen and his new book that's come out and what he's done to promote it. And some of the people that he's alienated um, uh, over the last couple months, I wanted to get your opinion on that. Um, you know, where does the line need to be drawn between, you know, moving units and books to just, you know, incinerating relationships that you've <laughs> had for the last 30, 30 plus years?
3: Well, Scotty to me crossed the line that he can't never get back from. The meanness nasty the things he said about Michael I know Michael. Michael ain't never going to forgive him. He took some shots at Phil Jackson. He he said something a little small about me. He said I was a fake tough guy. And I said, I, I didn't even know. I thought I was a tough guy. I do know one thing. I'm tougher than his ass. So let's get that out the way. <laughs> but that's the only. So, but the stuff he said about Michael and Phil Jackson, I think if you won six championships together, you're – there's a bond there. I mean, you didn't win one lucky championship. You won six. Like I can understand if you if a guy, and I can say I, I'm just hypothetical. If you won one championship, there's guys on the team you probably not that close with. Somebody got traded there for the year and or they got traded afterwards. But if you win six championships together, like I say, I don't know, but there's gotta be a special bond. Uh f- there's gotta be a special bond. I mean, that's an amazing accomplishment. And for you to trash the greatest player ever, in my opinion, no disrespect to Kobe, LeBron, them the only two guys, I think, in my opinion, you know, in that conversation with Bill Russell and uh, Kareem and, and Wilt. But I was I – first of all, I haven't read the book. I only read the excerpts. But some of the stuff he said about Michael was just really not cool at all. And I know that's how you sell books, Larry. But I would think personally, even if I had an issue with somebody, I would have probably tried to phrase it differently. Or I would say, you know what, we won six championships together. That little bit of money ain't worth me burning down the whole house. You said incinerated. He didn't incinerate and he burned down the whole house and came back and make sure it was, already, it was Hey, he came back the next day to make sure it was burnt down. <laughs> do you, do
0: you think that a lot of this was just the reaction of his disappointment and anger with the way that he felt he was treated in the last dance and here's a guy sitting out on the sidelines and then 25, 30 years later, he's getting hit over the head with a baseball bat over something that he had long buried.
3: Well, I say this Jim about when people bring up stupid shit I've done in my life, I have to own it. I have to own it. Scotty did wait to the middle of the season to have surgery because he was upset about his contract. Uh, that wasn't Michael's fault. You know, yeah. I'll give you an example. I actually got caught in the exact same situation as Scotty. I probably got cheated out of probably $100 million. So if I remember the last dance correctly, me and Scotty probably were exact same situation. So my first agent was a crook. Um, so he stole all my money. So after four years, I was broke. I don't want to mention his name. Lance Lushnik. that's this asshole's name. So he um, he stole yeah, so he stole all my money. So after four years, I was broke. So I went to the Sixers, and this is before anybody started making a lot of money. You know, in the NBA, you can only get incremental incremental raises every year. So I obviously I had no idea salaries were going to explode. So I ended up signing a, a 10-year deal. So I would at least have some money going forward in the rest of my life. And then like three years into my contract, guys went from making $2 million to $20 million. But the thing that's ironic about it, Michael at the time was probably my best friend, and we both talked about it. He's like, because Michael, Scotty actually was making more money than Michael. Nobody talks about that in the last dance. Because Michael didn't make any money until, like, when he went his last three or four years, and he went up to, like, $30 million a year. But before that, Scotty was making more money than him. He didn't talk about that in the book. But, so, I was in the exact same situation, but you know what? Me and Michael said, hey, guy, he said, Charles, we signed the deal. Shut the fuck up. Cause There's guys now there's guys on the Sixers making more money than me. Then when I get traded to Phoenix, I'm like the fifth highest paid player on the team, but you know what? I signed the deal and I never, uh, and I win MVP and I'm still got three or four guys on the team making more than me, but you know what? You sign the deal, you sign the deal. So I don't know why Scotty is mad at Michael because, you know, his I think his agent stole his money and he wanted some security. When you sign the deal, you sign the deal and it is what it is. But that's not Michael's fault. And uh so listen, he they can he can have sour grapes, but I and listen, Jim, I'm not mad at him even being mad. But when you wait I don't even know how long we've been retired. If you wait all these years and all of a sudden you happen to have a book coming out and you're like, well, if I just, I got to go big game hunt. So I might as well go for Phil and Michael, but that's biggest games you can get. So I think that's what made us mad more than anything. If he had to this five, 10 years, 15 years ago in an article, we'd be like, no, Scott is pissed. He's not happy with Michael, but he just happened to be coming out with a new book. I think that's what made everybody the maddest. You
0: know, you, you we're talking about money. You were talking about Scottie Pippen, and it reminded me of a line you said to me about twenty five years ago, twenty years ago or so regarding money. He said, Damn, I'm gonna have to keep playing basketball. I said, Why is that, Chuckster? He says it it's it's just real tough on my mom. God rest her soul. She's she's having a real tough time living on two million dollars a year on Leeds out in Leeds, Alabama.
3: <laughs> I, I, you know it's it's it's, it's uh um, my mom my i was raised I was raised by my mother and grandmother. they're two of the greatest love ever but my mother was crazy so i was like i started to put them on the payroll and my agent says your mom needs some more money i said what i said well i built her a house and i've given her a car she lives in a town with 2,000 people, and she makes $50,000 a year. What is she doing with her money? And and I call, I said, Mom, you're probably – there's probably not more than 10, 15 people making more than 50 grand in my little hometown, and you don't have any bills. I pay all your bills. What are you doing with all your money? She's like, well, babe, I just have to keep buying stuff because I'm Charles Barkley's mom. I said, Mom – you don't have to keep buying stuff. I said, Mom, You, said, we used to laugh about it, but it was crazy, man. I said, Mom, you don't have to keep spending money just because you're my mom. And then one of the worst things about it, Jim, you know, most people don't know this. My mom, Shaquille O'Neal's mom, were best friends. So when she started hanging out with Shaquille's mom, and Shaquille was making like $100 million a year. And I had my NBA money and my TB money. And Shaquille's mom was really great when my mom was passing away. She came, it's three of them. It's another lady named Miss Martha Corman. They were three best friends. We used to call them the three amigos. They took vacations all the time. The only problem is when they took those vacations, when I got those bills, I said, mom, you can't spend money like Shaquille's mom. Shaquille <laughs> makes a hundred million dollars a year. You cannot. She said, Baby, I don't want her paying for everything. I said, She don't have to pay for everything. But let her pay for something. I said, because Shaquille got way more money than we got. Way more. <laughs> How about Larry?
0: Talk about money. How about Larry being a co-owner of the Phoenix Suns, your former team?
3: I think it's great. I think when all these guys diversify their portfolio, I think, the more we can have Larry front and center in, in Arizona. I think it's great for the brand. I'm proud of what they accomplished last year. I'm proud of what they accomplished this year. But Jim, I think that as a fan, when you go to a Sons game and you see part owner Larry Fitzgerald, it's just great for his brand. Uh, you know, Larry as done some amazing things behind the scenes because he's, he's done a fantastic job with his contracts first and foremost between him. If his agent, they've done a fabulous job. I've been watching from a distance for the last X amount of years, but he seems like he's done a fabulous job investing. And, you know, Jim, the one reason I talk to these young kids about financial responsibility, First of all, you got to learn the magic word. No, don't feel bad telling people. No, you don't have no moral obligation to take care of everybody in the hood. No, you don't. That's the reason 80 percent of professional athletes go broke. You don't have to take care of everybody. That's just not this notion that you're my homeboy. I'm like, no, dude, we were just born in the same neighborhood. (laughs) That does not mean I have to support you your whole career. And 80 percent of us go broke. I was determined not to do that. I know Larry is definitely not going to do that. But I love when these guys diversify their portfolio. You know, I had, we had, um, you know, I talked to Kevin Durant about that. You know, LeBron's done an amazing job. Obviously, Michael's done a fabulous job because no matter how great you are in your sport, it's only a real small window of your life. And that money you make when you plan, it's got to last you and your family for the rest of your life. I mean, everybody, when you retire, you're going to be a young person. And you never know how much money you're going to need the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years, hopefully. So you have to save, you know, I learned that from Dr. J at a young age. He says, son, why do you have seven cars? He says, well, what do you mean? He says, you got like seven cars. He says, can you drive more than one at a time? I said, no. He says, you know that money sitting in your driveway has got to last you the rest of your life. So now when I talk to young kids, I said, yo, man, get one car. That's all you need. One house, one car. Because even though you can afford a bunch of cars or you can afford a bunch of houses, that money's got to last you the rest of your life. And uh, that's what I when I tell these young guys that man save your money. Like I said, no matter how great you are, you only gonna play a real small window in your life.
5: Charles, do you still have a relationship with the gorilla? I mean, I know I I know you guys vacation together, anything like that? <laughs> the, the gorilla? <laughs> yeah, you guys have a relationship still.
3: Yeah, we do. I actually just saw him. Uh, I went up to the Hall of Fame. I think you were there. Yeah, yeah, and I I saw him. And I hadn't seen him in, in, in a minute. Because, you know, Larry, I don't go to a lot of games. And we got to change
5: that, Charles. We got yeah. to change that. We got to change that.
0: You know, because I by, feel by like the way, By the way, Charles is in the Hall of Fame three times. You're a three-time Hall of Famer. You're in the Hall of Fame as a player. You're in the Hall of Fame as a broadcaster. And you're in the Hall of Fame for the Dream Team. So we know that you like seconds, but we
3: didn't necessarily know that you like thirds. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, I didn't even listen I think it's already a scam that they're paying me to watch basketball. Now they're giving me trophies and things. It's a scam. Yeah. Uh, but to get back to Larry's question, you know, when we put Cotton Fitzsimmons in the hall of fame a couple of months ago, uh, the gorilla came up and spent some time with me and I told him, uh, you know, probably the four best years of my basketball life. Well, actually three of them, I'm only going to count three of them. The last year sucked because they traded the way to good players left me there by myself. But my first three years in Phoenix were probably the three greatest years of my life basketball-wise, because you know, I got so frustrated in Philadelphia because they had no clue what they were doing. Uh, and they screwed up well, they screwed up giving up the number one pick in the draft. And that put my Philadelphia career on the on the downside. And I'm thinking to myself, damn, I know I'm a great player. And I'm reading all this articles about how I'm not any good and I'm the reason we're losing. I'm like, well, when before y'all traded, we all were the good players, we had good players. And I remember getting traded. And I remember I was at the Olympics and Chuck Daly, rest in peace, said to me, We're talking one day. He says, Can I talk to you for a second? I said, Of course. He says, I want to tell you something. I said, What's up, coach? He says, You're the second best basketball player in the world. I says, wait, there's somebody better than me. Um, And we laughed about that. He says, watching you play basketball every day is one of the coolest things that I've ever seen. He says, if we need a basket, you can get it. We need a rebound. You can get it. You're you're, you're a great passer. He says, I really enjoyed my time with you. I said, coach, that's the greatest thing anybody's ever told me. And I said, and it means a lot to me because – my team in Philly has sucked like the last three years. And I I was really starting to believe all this shit I was reading. So then I get traded to Phoenix and I'm like, they give me Kevin Johnson and Dan Marley. And I said, we got the best record in the world. And obviously we lose to the Bulls in championship. But then the next year it was going to come down to us and the Houston Rockets. Cause we were both the two best teams in the NBA and we lost to those guys in seven games. So I knew all when they gave me some help, I said it really restored my faith in myself because I was starting to think like, damn, maybe I can't play. But those three years where I had a legitimate chance to win a championship, I'm like, that's all I want. I mean, because I, I, I've been around great players, you know, Patrick Ewing, Gary Payton, Reggie Miller. I'm on, clearly going to miss some few. Carl Malone, John Stockton, where you can't, where you like, that guy's a great player, and he deserves the opportunity to win a championship. And I got stuck in Philly three years that we were awful. And then when, like I say, those three, my first three years in Phoenix were the three best years uh, of my basketball career.
0: Hey, by the way, when you were over there in Europe with the dream team uh, and you became
3: uh, Sir Charles, what year exactly were united uh, by her majesty, the queen? <laughs> you know, Jim, I've asked the funny, I've been asked that question quite a bit. I have no idea when my name became Sir Charles, it was it, like, because um, it, it started out as the round mound, the rebound, and somewhere late, along the way, it became Sir Charles. And and I've had idiots ask me before. Not that I'm calling you an idiot. Like, did you get knighted? I'm like, no, fool. Somebody just called me Sir Charles somewhere <laughs> along the way, and it stuck. <laughs> yeah, but no. Cl- clearly, I have not been knighted. <laughs>
5: <laughs> I, got a, I got a random question for you. I mean, I know you you're a big Auburn fan. You, you've made no qualms about that. Uh, Bo yeah. Nix, starting quarterback over the last three years, decided to, to graduate and transfer. Um, I wanted to get your opinion on that. And, and also, do you think it was has anything to do with that uh, insurmountable object that's in Tuscaloosa that you guys could not seem to uh, to get by?
3: Well, let's get one thing straight, Larry. We choked against Alabama. We just <laughs> flat out choked like dogs that we should have won that game. You know, I was disappointed because number one, his dad is a Auburn legend. He's a three year starter, started as a true freshman. He's only got one year to go. I would we this year, even though we were six and six, we only had one bad game. With the exception of the Georgia game we were either tied or had to lead in the fourth quarter of every single game this year, which tells me like a break here or there, we wouldn't have been six and six. Like I say, with the exception of Georgia, we were tied or had to lead in every fourth quarter of every other game of the year. And he missed the last two games following ankle surgery. And I was surprised with one year to go. Why you want to go and learn another system? So but I wish him luck because he's 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 Auburn family because of his dad. And he gave us three good years. But like if I only got one year to go, I'm not sure I want to go and learn another system because he probably was guaranteed to be the starter. Uh, cause cause like I say, he lost his job because he broke his ankle the last two weeks of the season. So he probably was going to be the favorite. It was probably going to be his job. Uh, but something tells me behind the scenes, some was going on because Larry, a lot of these people think we knit So Lincoln Riley and they're Brian right. Kelly. They're right. They're right. Listen, they don't think no, they're no, right. No, no. No, you just, you no, just no. told us the public's much smarter hey. than we think hey. they are. So they're right. Hey. Yeah, we're a lot smarter. I know me and Larry are, Jim. I don't know about you, so I'm looking. I'm laughing, and, and number one, I wish them both. I don't know Lincoln Riley, uh, person, but I and I, but I like Brian Kelly. But what makes me laugh is these dudes think they got the. They both played Saturday, and they want us to think that sometime between ten o'clock month, Saturday night. And by midnight, one, two, they both got $100 million deals to go to USC <laughs> and Notre Dame, and they had been talking about that shit for a couple weeks. Please, <laughs> we're not morons. I'm I'm just laughing like, well, we hadn't been talking to anybody. This just came together. I'm like, you don't put together, together $100 million deals where well, you got to get All that extracurricular stuff that's in contracts signed. The notion that overnight y'all came up with these deals. Please, man. I just laugh sometimes. These people think we're just morons. Like, yo, man, just say you want to go to USC. Just say you want to go to LSU. But don't tell me you got that deal done overnight. I don't want to hear that.
0: You think it's okay for the coaches to do that? You, you think that, that leaving all those kids behind, going in and recruiting uh, uh, on that that week, that weekend, talking to your players, one guy at the time competing for a national championship uh, doesn't have a Southern accent, then all of a sudden he has a Southern accent. I mean, this whole thing reeks. I mean, there's no there's no other way to say it. And I, I, I don't begrudge anybody for making money, but the whole
3: thing just really stinks. You know, Jim the toothpaste is out the tube. Now you got this NIL thing. The toothpaste is out the tube and I don't know what we can do. The only thing I get mad at is I get mad when guys like myself, guys talking heads, get on TV and says, we're screwing these kids. We're giving them nothing. Number one, I want all my players to be happy and get as much as they can. But I hate when people tell young black kids getting a free education is nothing. Getting a free education is a really big deal because I think sometimes we 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 worry about ten guys. It's like there's ten guys who gonna leave college after one year, uh, who might get screwed by can't go straight to the NBA. But I I worry about the other 99.9% mostly black kids getting that free education. That's all I care about them getting that education. But now you got this NIL thing, and I don't know what's going to happen. So now coaches got to be like, I got to go to a school now because what I think is going to happen is I think it's going to really knock things out of whack because – these kids are gonna be saying now we got two camps. We got basketball. We got a kid saying, Well, wait a minute. I only got to stay in school for six months. Where can I make the most money in six months? Think about that. That's what young basketball players are gonna be saying. Yo, man, I only got to go to school for six months. Where can I make the most money in six months? So now the other campus debate, uh the, the football players. Kids gonna be saying now, okay. I got to stay in school for three years. Where can I make the most money in three years? And then to compound that, you're going to have some kids, and this is what it's going to be like. You got to listen to mom and dad. Son, you're not going to play in the NFL. Where can we make the most money in four years now? If you're a great player, you got an option. You're like, where can I make the most money in three years? But what's going to be interesting going forward, some of these – good players who know they're never going to play in the NFL, they're going to say, well, I got to go to this school or this school. That's going to eliminate some of these mid-majors, and I think it's really going to help the big schools. So like I say, Jim, to answer your question, hey, it reeks, it reeks, but the toothpaste is out of the tube, and I'm not sure there's anything you can do about it. Should we just do
0: away with the NCAA? I mean, they've been reforming things for 60 years. They've had that committee, and I think you, it was you last week who so eloquently said, anything that takes four years to decide something like this just sucks. Yeah. Something to that well, effect. It, it,
3: first of all, they are the most reactive group of people. They could have nipped this thing in the bud five, ten years ago. They wait to get punched in the face with NIL and then they change all the rules. okay, Well, we better do something or we're going to lose to NCAA. It goes back to my day, Jim, where they're like, you're going to get suspended for getting an extra pair of shoes. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? They're like, Charles, we can only give you one pair of shoes. Charles, we can only give you X amount of money for per diem. And now it's gotten worse. It was hundreds of millions of dollars back in my day. Now it's billions. And now I don't I, I, I don't think they know what they're doing. And I don't know if they can fix it now. But it, somebody should go in there and say, hey, let's try to make it work for everybody instead of us being greedy pigs at the NCAA. Let's take care of these kids. Let's make sure they get the education. If they want to go home on spring break or Christmas, let's we can give them money to get on a plane. We ain't got to, you know, you know, doing a thing overboard. But if a kid want to fly home for Christmas, you know he's got a month off. Let's help him get home. I mean, simple stuff like that would be better than it's always been. They're like, we can only give you X amount of tickets. You know, I man, I got like six brothers and sisters and a mom and dad. Can we squeeze an extra couple of tickets out? I mean, simple stuff like that. But they've never used common sense, Jim, because. They've been making so much money for so long. Now the employees are rebelling, and they just don't know what to do. Well, I mean, it's
5: a it's a conundrum wrapped inside of enigma. I mean, you, you look at all these issues. I mean, you look at the, the, the transfer pool for one for one thing. I mean, just the young man uh, Ewers of just left Ohio State. You know, you know, it was a bidding war, and Texas has the biggest war chest in all the college football to be able to bring him home. Now, things are not working out at your university that you're at. I mean, it's literally a bidding war. Um, and what is it going to do to high school recruiting, especially in basketball? I had a great conversation with Bruce Pearl about this last year. Is um, Are you going to be recruiting high school talent? Or are you gonna be going to just go on other people's rosters and looking at, you know, guys who've been playing one or two years, who have some experience that could be true plug and play players for you? Like, what is this going to do to high school recruiting and, and the way kids are being evaluated out of high school if you're not as a blue chipper? Um, so. It's got a lot of trickle-down effect that, uh, you know, and I'm really curious to see how it's going to play out over the next few years.
3: You know, and Larry, he's a great point. Because I don't think, Jim, and I tell people, I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer to any of these questions. I mean, I don't know what, because what's interesting to me, what what people get paid. I, I've been saying this for years. They're like, well, these players should get paid. I'm like, well, what does that mean? I know it makes great. It makes a great sound bite on television. But I'm saying, are we paying all the players? Because all this money, y'all think y'all got. If we pay every college athlete, it ain't that money ain't going to be as much as y'all think. That we play the yeah, quarter. Why are we paying
0: all these coaches? All that we're paying all these coaches all this money. The sneaker companies are making money. The television companies are making money. The institutions are making money. Everybody's making money, and then you get. Uh, 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 Napier wins a national championship, just like you just said, it, can't order a pizza. So come on. I mean, well, well, yes, okay, they deserve some well, money. What is that sum? You, I don't know what yeah. that sum is, but it's something is better than nothing. And you talk about a free education and you worry <laughs> yeah. about a free education. That's uh, great. Uh, well, you, they should get the education. But none of those kids go to school thinking they're getting an education. They're not student athletes. They're athlete students. They all think they're going there for the dream of being an NBA or an NFL player and they don't recognize that that dream isn't going to happen until they've lost the opportunity for a free education. The NCAA should mandate right now that you play basketball for three or four years, and then you go back to school when you're ready to get your education so that that's available to you for the next 10 years as opposed to when you're trying to become an NBA or an NFL player. That would be a benefit that would be substantial.
3: Well, uh, number one, you bring bring up some great points. But my question is... Uh, like we talk about this NIL thing, they're only going to pay the running back, the quarterback, the wide receivers, and maybe a great defensive player. That's that's what concerns me about the NIL. They're not going to pay offensive linemen more than likely, uh, defensive linemen, because the wide receiver, the running back, and quarterback, they're the three glamour positions. They're always going to get NIL deals. But, so Jim, let me ask you this question. If your football team is no good, let, let, and I hate to say this, but I'm going to just use an example. Kansas. Kansas is great in basketball, and they're not good in football. Are we paying them the same thing? You're asking me or you're asking Larry? you just asking I'm the I'm asking question. you because you're saying like – because like I say, I think at certain well, schools – Well, how much does the take, institution take in? Institution as part of their
0: conference is taking in money. Some of that should go to the kids, whether you win one game or whether you win the national championship.
3: I I, I, I agree, but we just have to come up with an equitable solution. How much everybody should get. But Like I say, there's going to be a double standard. Also, let's take Villanova. Villanova has a lower division one football school. They got a great, great coach and staff uh, and a great basketball program, but they don't get football money. So it's, it's a lot of things that's, that play in this that, that people, people want to simplify it because, listen, Kansas basketball should get more money than Kansas football, okay? Uh, that's just the truth. North Carolina basketball, Duke basketball should get more money than their football programs. I'm just saying, and Larry said it, it's a conundrum. It's no easy fixes to this entire situation. I mean, because – I, I just don't know. Like I, say, right. I want all the players to be you're, taken you're. care of. Well,
5: Jim, Jim, you also have to take into yeah. consideration if you're paying players, you know, from outside of the Power Five conferences, you know, the football revenue and basketball revenue is nowhere near. And nobody can compete with the SEC. So if you're doing a true revenue share, it, it's not fair. The, the athletes in the Pac-10 will make significantly less than the, than the athletes in the SEC. And so. You know, what you will create there is is division uh, among the ranks. And, and what I think is eventually going to happen is it's going to be 10, maybe 15 schools. And it will just consist of the, you know, true professional amateur sports. Um, it'll be the Alabamas and the USC's and the Oklahomas and the Oregon's and, you know, the true powers of, of college football competing because nobody can nobody can really keep up this arm race that we're going to be uh, entangled in here in a few years.
3: See, and, and that's that's my biggest problem with this whole thing. Uh, Larry said it better than I said it because I get he's he better at words than I am. Jim, it, it's really going to be like, I think Cincinnati is in the AAC, if I remember correctly. The AAC can't compete with the SEC and the Pac-10, even the Big Ten. So that's my biggest concern. We're going to have, you talk about the haves and the have-nots. It's going to be the haves and the really have-nots. <laughs> so that's what concerns me. And, and I don't want that because we need those smaller schools because those players, they're getting that education. And that's that's all I care about. I don't care. Man, I wish all these kids can win. But we got all these kids, especially Black kids, that we, we're going to have to eventually put out in the world. And if they get out there with no education, I I just worry. I mean, uh, and and uh, man, it's it's, it's it, Like Larry said, it. There's no right or wrong answers. It's easy. I tell. Like I get so mad at guys on TV doing my job, talking about we got to pay all these players and we're screwing these kids. I said, calm down. If you got a, a sensible solution or a sensible s- suggestion. But don't just get on TV. And I and I see it, I've been seeing it for the last five years, not just like last week, last month, or a year ago. For the last five years at least, I see guys who get paid to talk sports just like myself. And I call them, I say, yo man, don't just get on TV and scream, pay the players. You give me, I said, let's have a a little quick conversation. Who are we paying? And they says, I don't know that. I said, Well then that's the conundrum. I don't know it. I want all our players taken care of, but it's just not that simple to get on TV and says we're screwing these players. Everybody's making money. Hey, TNT's making a lot of money. I don't think they paid me uh, based on what the numbers. We just got sold to at a and t for eighty billion dollars. I ain't seen a dime of that eighty billion dollars. I want my cut of that because hey, listen. Yeah, we sold some for eighty billion dollars. I'm grossly underpaid, Jim. Grossly <laughs> underpaid. Hey, and
5: Jim, I, I, I agree I with I that. Well, why, read, why
0: aren't I, you Why aren't you walking out? Why aren't you on strike? And where's your agent now? You thought your
3: first agent was stealing from you. Where is this one hey, now? <laughs> hey, since hey, listen, since I, my, I signed my last big deal, my agent's been at the beach every since then. <laughs> <laughs> hey,
0: Let's Jim, drastically we- change the subject as we as we wrap this up, if if we can here. Uh, Charles, you mentioned the word conundrum uh, a few minutes ago, in a real conundrum. Well, Larry is, said is, it. I've never friends? used
3: the word conundrum. Uh, Larry said it, <laughs> and I just repeated to sound smart. I've never used the word conundrum <laughs> in my life. I was just piggybacking on his intelligence.
0: Well, here's a conundrum to all of us. How are you such good friends with Bill Belichick? Bill Belichick comes across as a genius, the greatest coach perhaps ever, and he just doesn't come across as having
3: friends. How are you one of his best friends? And what's that like? I, I got a lot of love for him, a lot of respect. And, you, you know, he's always been there for me. But this is how the, this is how the friendship started. So Mike was a, uh he's still a great friend of mine. And he called me one time when he was coaching the Cavaliers. That's how long me and Coach Bill have been together. And I always go up to Patriots game. I don't like to bother him because he, he he works all the time. But I try to go up to a, a couple of Patriots games. And so he says, hey, you know, Bill Belichick, because, he know, football is my love. Jim, you know, boxing and football are my two loves. I love those two sports. Yep. I I, I want to watch boxing and football because, you know, my one day of playing football was the worst day of my life. And I'm because. Uh, I played football one day, Larry, and it was the worst day of my life. And I remember the last thing Coach said to me. He said, I'll see y'all tomorrow. I said, if you think I'm doing this shit tomorrow, you're out of your freaking mind. (laughs) They they put me on the (laughs) defensive line. where you can't hide on the defensive line and offensive line. You get every play. I said, Coach, I really appreciate this opportunity, but I'm not doing this shit tomorrow. I'm not doing this shit ever again. So I fell in love. That day, I said, it takes – you have to be – Love your sport to play football. And I, so I fell in love. Then boxing, my, my one of my heroes is Ali. So football and boxing are my two favorite sports. I love them. So I watch a lot. So to get back to my original thought, uh, Coach Fratello called me. He says, hey, I got a fan who wants to pick your brain a little bit about how you compete and things like that. I says, who is it? He says, Bill Belichick. I said, oh, the coach of the Browns. I says, I would love to. I uh, I I'm, 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 I would like to get to study from him too. So we end up having dinner back in Cleveland. I think we end up having like three hours just talking about how I want to compete. I was picking his brain and things like that, and because I always want to learn from somebody who's great at their craft. And we developed that friendship, and we've been together since then. And seven uh, six Super Bowls later and things like that uh he's always been there for me and uh, I really appreciate it uh like I say the crafts treat me great when I go up to Gillette Stadium uh but like I say man he's been a friend and I consider him a good friend and if he ever needs anything from me he can get it I feel like if I ever need something from him I can get it too
0: What's the biggest difference you see in him from a public aspect to the guy that you know
3: him as, uh, as a friend? I think he's funny. Uh, I think he's funny. Uh, and, and I've heard other people talk about it. You know, Jim, I think in his position, you know, he's, he learned the media in New York. I think that you have to factor that in too. We know that New York Philadelphia, Boston, they're the three toughest places to play in the world. Those three cities. And I think he probably learned when he was an assistant with the Giants and things like that. I can't give them any ammunition because winning football is hard enough. I can't give them any ammunition Because I think the one thing that people don't understand, and I learned this firsthand in Philadelphia, when you're in one of those big markets, there's so much competition. Like when you're in Philadelphia, you're dealing with the Eagles, the Flyers, the Phillies, Temple, St. Joe's, Villanova. So I think it's just my personal opinion, and you probably know it better because you've been in the business longer than me, I think those people, and, and New York is probably worse. I think those guys who are writing those articles on, and on those talk shows, they're going for blood every day to get their opinion out there. They're going for blood every because it's so competitive. And I, I and like I can say I, we ain't never had no conversation about this, but I think his relationship with the media is, I'm trying to win. I don't have time for this extracurricular bullshit that goes on on talk radio or in the newspaper. I'm going to give y'all zero. That's what I think personally, because, you know, Jim, New York, Boston, Philly, they are different animals. When I got traded to Phoenix, <laughs> I was like, this is cupcake central. These guys said the Suns didn't play well last night. I'm like, whoa, that's it? (laughs) Hey, I was like, I used to tell the guys, you guys got no idea what it's like to get – I used to tell people when they came to Philly, do not turn on your damn radio when we're playing bad. Do not turn on your radio. (laughs) And the headlines are brutal. And my favorite answer from a reporter was, well, you know, I don't write the headline. I said, "Yeah, the ri- uh, the article threw me under the bus. The headline where well, they just backed up and drove over me a couple times, and that's what <laughs> I think. That, I mean, and that's the difference, though, being in the big city. Uh, but like I say, Phoenix, man, when I got traded to Phoenix, I was like, this is like Cupcake City." You know, I mean, when I was in Philadelphia, some of the stuff they wrote and said about me, I told you, I was telling you earlier, like my last three years, I was like, damn, maybe I do suck as a basketball player. You know, I made the all-star team. I'm playing great and I'm, I'm in the top five in MVP like every year. Then y'all trade the number one pick in the draft for a guy who, I, who never played with me. Then you traded Moses and my team went down the toilet. And I was like, I was top five NBA candidate for five years in a row. And now we stink. And y'all telling me it's my fault. And y'all traded everybody on my damn team. So they have to blame somebody. <laughs> they have to blame somebody. And I was getting it. And, man, uh, when the Suns rescued me, it was a really cool thing. Special
0: thanks, Dave the Snake Hagan. He had a lot to do here today. Production assistance by Harris Fabischoff. To our sponsors, Mastros, USAA. Ring United Wholesale Mortgage, and GoldenNuggetCasino.com. The Let's Go podcast with Tom Brady was produced by 199 Productions in collaboration with Scratchy Productions. We're going to talk to you again next Monday night right here on SiriusXM. Let's go.
4: Sirius XM Podcasts.